You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Yeah, welcome back. Glad to be back with you here. Excited to begin something brand new with you all today. Uh, And to get going, I want you to think back with me for a moment and sort of hashtag sorry, not sorry to do this, but think back for a moment with me to life as it was for you two years ago. What was life like for you two years ago, roughly this time in 2020? Uh, What was life like before you lived through all that you lived through? What were you like before you, and here's the word, suffered a little bit, maybe a lot? How has all of this changed you? How should all of this change you? I think these are questions that the Bible invites us to ask. And in the Bible, then, to sort of get at these questions, we meet a man named Job. Meet a man named Job. And Job's life, when we meet him, was great. He had a great life. He was rich, wealthy, prosperous, a great dad, a great husband. He was an influencer, even before Instagram. It's true. And he was someone who loved God a lot, actually. And it says he did stuff like this. He even prayed for, he offered sacrifices for his kids just in case they weren't living right. And we're told that God Almighty said of Job, there is no one like him. Like literally there's no God follower better than this guy. It was like Job was winning some divine contest. He didn't know what he was entered in and competing in. But then we know what happens next. Job suffers horribly. He lived a personalized, sort of one-man Iron Age version of 2020. Wave after wave of grief came upon him. He, He lost his children in a freak storm. His business collapsed from corporate raiders. And he suffered from a virus. For for which there was no cure, no shot, no treatment. He lost almost everything. But then, by the end of the book, we read about a different Job altogether. We read that he has more children, a new family. His company turns around. His wealth skyrockets. His friends who had given him sort of the, the side eye about his suffering like blame Job for all Job's problems. They themselves are humbled. His health is restored. He knows God even better. And he has a name that will live for forever. Because come on, who are we talking about right now just for a moment? Job, we're still talking about him today because of what he went through. In other words, Job was great. Then he suffered. Then he became greater. He was riding high. Then he suffered. Then he went higher because of what he went through. In other words, Job was better than he began. And I want to tell you today, the same can be true of you. You can be better than you began. Your family can be better than it began. This church can be better than we began. And there's nowhere better in the Bible that teaches that truth than what we're looking at for the next few weeks right here, right now. Because if the Bible had a pinnacle, if the Bible had a high point, if it had a peak, then this book that we're opening up today, this book called Romans, written in the first century by the Apostle Paul, this book would be that. And if Romans itself had a high point, the eighth chapter of the book would be just that. Romans 8 is the top 
of the top of the mountain. Romans 8 is arguably the high point of Christian theology and human emotion all wrapped up together. And most of all, it shows us why what was true of Job can be true of you and me as well. So my goal here over the next few weeks is to help us climb that mountain, climb the mountain of Romans 8, and by the time we end up at the top, which we will, my goal is to help you sing and to say, I am better than I began. I am better than I began. So let's start to see how that can happen. We're going to break the book up into chunks as we go, excuse me, the chapter that is. We're going to start with Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Here it is on the screen in front of him. Therefore, Paul writes, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And that's the reading of his word. All his people said, amen, amen, yeah. So how does this show us we can be better than we began? Well, there's a kind, I believe, a kind of picture we're shown here in these first four verses, a picture of something amazing that we can have that we actually need, but I'm not gonna name what that is just yet. I wanna hold it till the end on purpose for dramatic purposes, yes. And hopefully for some homiletical punch. That means preaching punch, like it's gonna be better. That's sorry. Anyway, we'll see if it works out for us or not, all right? But to show us that full picture, to get to that, I want to lay out first three puzzle pieces that are going to form that picture. Three puzzle pieces that when we get them all ordered and arranged, they show us what we need, most of all, to be better than we began. Romans 8, 1 through 4, shows us we need these three things to help us see a fourth. First, we need a better sense of self. We're going to look at these in turn. A better sense of self. Number two, a better law. We need a better voice that'll give us a mystery item here. Here we go. It feels like a game show today. Okay. <laughs> Number one, we need a better sense of self. What do I mean? All right, here we go. I don't know if you've seen the movie Crazy Rich Asians. Anybody seen that? Yeah. It's set in the nation of Singapore. It's all about the journey of this Chinese-American woman named Rachel. She's a daughter of immigrants. She falls in love with a man from one of the richest and most powerful families in all of Asia. And the plot of the whole movie is basically her seeking the approval of this wealthy family. And there's this one powerful scene, it's near the end, where the disapproving mother of the man she loves, this powerful matriarch, she turns and she looks at Rachel. She's looking like down at her on the staircase. The mother puts her hand on Rachel's cheek looks her right in the eyes and she says this to her, here's what I have learned about you. You will never be enough. Whew. And Rachel stands there stunned while the mother just walks away. Of course, it was designed to be this soul-crushing moment for Rachel and it was designed to make her leave and not come back. And you know what? Those words are soul-crushing, aren't they? They just are. Because at the bottom of those words is a feeling. 
that no one wants to feel, at the bottom of those words is something that the human soul cannot bear. We long to escape, get away from what's at the bottom of those words and was at the very bottom of those words is something that Paul the apostle says right here that every human life carries around inside them in a way though they don't even want to. Let me try to show you what he means. So far, Paul has laid out a case here, Romans 1 through 7, that every human life, your life, every human soul, your soul, is under the effects of what he calls, what he terms, the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death. What's that? The law of sin and death is three things. First of all, it's a reality. The law of sin and death is a reality that we are separated from God. Okay, Paul makes the case here that each of us is born into the world living in something he calls the flesh. It's not your skin, it's not your bones, it's your spiritual skeleton, your spiritual infrastructure. And Paul says that what's inside you, what's inside those old bones, what's inside those old boards is rotten, it's rotting, and it's not only keeping you from who you're supposed to be, worst of all, it's keeping you from God. Now listen, I'm the father of four children. Yeah, feels like more sometimes. That was a joke. I don't know how many kids I have. You're like, is this guy for real? All right, who is this? I have never had to sign my kids up for selfish class. Like I never enrolled them in a selfish camp, never had to sign them up for team me. Never had to teach one of them how to hit, bite, take, steal, hurt, or hurt. Hoard or hurt, that's what I meant. The point is, it all came baked into their operating system, like pre-programmed into them, into me, not into my skin, their skin, but our flesh. And to see how deep this goes, just ask yourself, why is it that you believe, we believe, that everyone else has this problem but us? (laughs) Like everyone else has their issues, we're just misunderstood. Everyone else has problems, but we're totally justified in what we say, do, think, and feel. You know, you're like, oh, yeah, that is true. I don't like that, and I don't like it either, but it's like it's always there. Like everywhere we go, there's this reality. Oh, wait, that's because that's what it is. The law of sin and death is a reality, but it's not only a reality. Secondly, it's a feeling. It's the feeling that comes from that separation from God. The feeling we feel because we are separated from God actually has a name. Paul names it. He uses this Greek word, katakrima. Katakrima. It means literally a prison sentence. Like Paul's saying, there's like this spiritual prison sentence we walk around carrying. It's like we got this spiritual uh, prison guard we walk around all the time yapping at us, making us feel something. And that feeling we feel, he calls katakrima, which is our word, condemnation. Condemnation. Katakrima. Condemnation is the perpetually disapproving parent walking around like a prison guard, lashing us with those words over and over again. You will never be enough. You are never enough. And therefore, the law of sin and death is a reality which creates a feeling, which produces this third, the efforts we make to deal with the feeling and cover the separation. The efforts we make to deal with the feeling and cover the separation. 
because we know the prison guard has a point, right? When we're honest, we know we're not enough. And so now we try to figure out on our own how to be enough. And those things we do to deal with the feeling, to cover the gap, fill in the separation, those efforts are what's called self-salvation. Self-salvation. We try to save ourselves through our career or through our family or through our appearance. We're like people lost. Let's drift in the ocean, dying of thirst, but drinking down salt water over and over. It all looks good, but it only makes us worse in the end. Now, I want to pause for 30 seconds-ish and say this. This is a crucial insight to have about your self and the human condition for understanding why you are like you are, why you feel like you feel sometimes, why you do what you do sometimes. This is actually extremely helpful to know because to misdiagnose the patient would result in a wrong prescription, to misunderstand the problem would result in a wrong answer, and to misunderstand your enemy would result in death on a battlefield. And I use that last third metaphor on purpose because it's the same one Paul uses right before this in the previous chapter. Up to this point in chapter 7, he says, it's like, it's like I got a battle. It's like I got a war going on on the inside of me. And so he asks, the end of chapter 7, right before what we read in chapter 8, he asks this, oh, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death. Now you say, well, this is a pretty bleak sense of self Paul has. What about the all the, you know, I'm good enough and I'm smart enough stuff? No, this is actually hopeful. You need this view of the self because if the Bible is right about you, and it is, it means this. It means once you know what's wrong, now you can begin to make things right. Once you know what's wrong, now you can begin to make things right, and you can. So what if? What if I told you there were a way then to make the voice stop? To make that prison guard shut his mouth, shut her mouth? What if I told you that you didn't have to walk around feeling condemned? There was something more powerful than the old law. Hmm? There is. You can have it. What do you need? Number two, Romans 8 shows us this. We need... Because of our better sense of self, we need a better law. We need a better law. And that's why Paul writes now, therefore, oh, there is now not just some condemnation, but no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Paul calls this better law the law of the Spirit, which gives life. So, my question then is, how does it work? Hmm? How does a better law work? Like, what does it do? How does it deal with our katakrima, our condemnation? I want to give you three examples of how this better law takes shape and works in your life. First, the law of the spirit of life helps us. I'm going to show you three things here. It helps us overcome three types of feelings. Feelings of failure. Okay, feelings of failure. Look at what Madonna said a few years ago in Vanity Fair. Interesting quote. She said, quote, I have an iron will, and all my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past some spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, and then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. My drive in life is from this horrible feeling 
of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Now, I appreciate her honesty here, don't you? If only we were all that honest. She's saying, everything I've ever done, especially career-wise, has been to make a feeling go away. It's crazy. She calls it a feeling of inadequacy. What's she looking for? In a word, she's looking for this. Here's the word, approval, approval. And you know, we're all like Madonna in some way, if we're honest. We're all looking for a a verdict on our performance. We all want some crowd to stand on their feet for us in rapturous applause. And so many of us every day, we get in the car, we log on to Zoom and we go to work and we use our careers to get that. We go to work every day looking for who's gonna give us a hand clap, an attaboy, a pat on the back, only to return home or log off disappointed and worse. We seek approval only to end up feeling like a failure. And the failure, put it like this, the failure of personal performance to make feelings of inadequacy go away, that's what the Bible calls condemnation. But what if? What if you had a perfect, flawless judge, infinitely better than that biased Olympic judge on TV you might have watched last night, right? A better judge who looked at you and said, you are a 10, a perfect score. You are approved. Be gone. Feelings of failure and inadequacy. The gold medal hangs around your neck now forever. What would that feel like? That's what the law of the spirit that gives life has come to do. It's come to break the power of the old law, the old feeling, and replace it with a new one. Second, the law of the spirit of life helps us overcome feelings of alienation. Alienation. If you have a child or if you've ever uh, babysat for uh, a child before, for parents watching a kid, and you've ever heard the child in another room crying, screaming out, having a nightmare... What do you do? What do you do? Well, first, you rush in, but second, you say something. What do you, now what do you not say? You don't say, hey, little, little two-year-old Johnny, Susie, your feelings aren't real. <laughs> not good, I'm just helping you, okay. All right. You don't say, little Johnny, man up, be braver. No, you say, hey, I'm here. I am here and you don't have to be afraid. With the reality of your presence and the truth of your words, you're trying to create a new and truer feeling on the inside of the child. And so the promise of the law of the spirit of life is that if you belong to God, God's with you. He is here. And not only that, Paul says later, God's not only with you, he is for you. And here's why we have to deal with this. Because if we don't deal with this, that's when we start to use something, usually someone, to cover up and deal with our feelings. We use others relationally, maybe sexually, hmm, to cover up our loneliness, fear of being alone. And so I want to tell you this. Even the very best people in your life can't get down to the bottom of the bottom of this. Even the very best people you know, I can't even help you make the fear of being alone go away completely. Oh, but a supernatural being with a better law can, can. And that's why Walter Brueggemann, Old Testament scholar, says this. Fear not, for I am with you. 
is nightmare-ending speech. It is a redescription of reality for us that asserts a caring presence that is trusted enough and powerful enough to override the sense of absence evoked by the fear. I want to tell you, the law of the spirit of life is nightmare-ending speech. It says you are not alone. We need a better law, overcome feelings of failure, alienation, and third, to overcome feelings of despair. Howard Thurman was a theologian. He influenced, if you know him, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. deeply. And as an African-American male living in the mid-20th century, he suffered greatly under the effects of Jim Crow. And he wrote a book called Jesus and the Disinherited. And he talked about how to move past feelings of despair when we suffer. And here's how he said he broke through how we break through. He said, quote, here we reach the high water mark of prophetic religion. And it is the essence of the teaching of Jesus of Nazareth, which is this. Yes, God cares for the grass of the field, which lives a day and is no more, or the sparrow which falls by the wayside. He also holds the stars in their appointed places. He leaves his mark on every living thing. And this is the God who cares for me. To be assured of this becomes the answer to all fear. To the degree to which a man or woman knows this, he is unconquerable within and without. I love this. Why would he say that knowing God cares for you is like the greatest thing you could know? It's this, because of this. It's because, he discovered this too, when we suffer, when you suffer, we can be tempted to believe like it's all been for nothing, like it doesn't matter. I feel this, you feel this, Job felt it. We despair, we feel like all that we did, all that we're believing for, all our prayer, suffering, it means nothing. It's not worth it. We feel condemned to meaningless pointless suffering and effort. Oh, but Jesus really did come, as Paul said, in the likeness of sinful human flesh. And he suffered, and he died, and he was resurrected. That means your suffering is not meaningless. It's not pointless. You can know that what you go through, it means something. Listen, we don't talk about Jesus only because he was crucified. Hmm? I mean, lots of religious figures have been killed for what they believe. No, we talk about and believe in him not because he taught, not because he even died, but because of his resurrection. Because his rising from the dead transforms suffering and death. And to the degree, therefore, Howard Thurman says, that you know this, that this is the God who cares for you. You can be unconquerable within and without. Set free from feelings of despair. Can you see oh, how much you need this better law? You need it. We do need it. So how do we get it? How do we get it? How does the better law come into our lives? It's through number three. The third thing we need. We need a better voice. We need a better voice. Whose voice is it? Oh, now this. This is where Romans 8 gets really fascinating because if you're familiar with the book at all, you know that there's someone who's barely mentioned at all. In the first seven chapters, there's a person who appears throughout the Bible, front to back, front and center, but who hasn't been let into this conversation just yet, and that's been on purpose by Paul. Only now, in Romans 8, does this person show up, and maybe you've guessed who it is. Only now does the person of the Holy Spirit show up. Because after being mentioned only once in the first seven chapters, Paul mentions the Holy Spirit now 17 times in this one chapter, already twice in the first couple of verses we read today. Why is this? 
Why is it when there's a conversation, conversation about the need for a new voice in our lives, for a different voice to free us from condemnation, the Holy Spirit shows up. Hmm? Well, think about it, think about it. Where did, how did the Holy Spirit first show up in the life of Jesus of Nazareth? Gospel of Luke chapter three, Luke records this. So when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. It's fascinating, isn't it? When the Holy Spirit shows up, Jesus himself gets the voice from heaven. Like, like He gets spoken over him stuff like this. Like, oh son, I love you so much. I'm so pleased with you. I, I approve of you. You're such a good child. And what, what had Jesus done, by the way? Hmm? Had he healed, taught, preached, mesmerized the multitudes? No, had he done anything? No, but as the son of God, here, Jesus, before he ever does anything, gets the thunderous applause, the rapturous ovation from heaven when the Holy Spirit comes. And if, Paul says, we are in Christ, that means that God sees us as he sees his first only begotten son. Paul calls us being like an heir of God, like a, like a child who gets their parents, father's inheritance. We, he says, have an inheritance as heirs of God. We get the Holy Spirit who opens our hearts to hear God's voice. We need this voice. This voice brings the approval, the peace, the nearness that lifts us whenever we feel condemned. And so as you and I, as we go to this voice every day, as we spend time, come on, in God's presence, in his word, that means now we can move out into the world from a sense of divine approval, not because we earned it, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus Christ purchased it for us. It's on the basis of sheer grace, and now we don't seek to use others, use our career, use our bodies to deal with our cosmic catacrima anymore. We're set free when we run to this voice, not away from it. Henri Nguyen put it like this. He said, why do I keep ignoring the place of true love and persist in looking for it elsewhere? Why do I keep leaving home where I'm called a child of God, the beloved of the Father? I am the prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. But the Father is always looking for me with outstretched arms to receive me back and whisper in my ear, you are the beloved on you. My favor rests. All right, class, <laughs> let's put it all together. What's Romans 8 shown us so far? Three pieces. It's given us a better, truer sense of self, which says we're actually a lot worse off than we thought. We should us our need for a better law to lift us out, which means we need a better voice to apply that. What do we get when we put all of this together, when we see we're lost from God, condemned, but we can be saved because of his love. Well, when we put this together, it shows us what we've needed most of all, most of all, all along. It shows us we need, number four, a bigger, better God. A bigger, better God. A bigger, better God is what and who can make us better than we began. Let me try to show you what I mean. Why? 
2020, come on, the last two years, it put the law of sin and death on full display, did it not? It showed us we are way worse than we thought. We needed a whole lot more salvation than maybe we even believed. Like Joe, back in 2020, maybe some of us, I did thought we were great. Fine. We could handle stuff in life. We thought we were loving people. We thought we loved our neighbors as ourselves. And then the stuff hit the fan. And what did some of us, many of us, I do, include myself in this, not all of us, but many of us, crumpled, crumbled, feared, faltered. Maybe we even began to hate, like we name-called, judged, lumped in all these people over here. They're all the bad ones who look or talk like that, while the people over here, like me, are the good ones, huh? We underestimated, the point is, the pull of the law of sin and death, that reality. We didn't realize how quickly we give in. So we gave into that prison guard, the feelings of failure, alienation, despair. Instead of going to the voice of the Spirit, maybe some of us settled for the voices of miserable comforters. Remember Job's friends, right? Didn't get the whole picture, only sought to blame Job. You can find him on TV still now, yeah. So yeah, these two years have shown us we're way worse than we thought. But I hope you'll see that Romans 8 here shows us actually we are far more loved than we could ever dream of and imagine. And I want to tell you that's exactly what Job found. Because when Job suffered, when he felt all those effects of the law of sin and death, he despaired. He felt alone. He realized he was way worse than he thought on the inside. And his suffering, it caused him to question himself and to question God. Oh, but at his lowest moment, one burning, shining truth broke him through. There was a single truth that Job held on to. It was Romans 8 in seed form. I love this. Job chapter 19. Job, after he prays, after he rants and screams at the sky, he declares this. Oh, but I know that my Redeemer lives. Oh, what's he saying? This word for Redeemer, it's the Hebrew word goel. The goel means someone like me, but not like me, related to me, but not from my near family. When I'm suffering, when I'm at my wit's end, when I can't provide, when I'm failing, the goel comes in. The Redeemer comes in and saves me. Job is saying, I know that my substitutionary Redeemer will save me. And look what he says. And I know that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. This is remarkable. Job is saying, some way, somehow, I know my Goel will come in the likeness of sinful human flesh. And he'll put skin on, and he'll come down, and he'll stand on this earth to save me. And Job here, he intuits in part what we can see now in full. Because one day, God did become human. God did come on this or stand on it to rescue us, to free us from every way our hearts condemn us. Job is saying here, though I got nothing else, I got a living redeemer. And one day he's coming for me and I'm trusting him to save me now. And after he says this, after, who comes to Job and speaks? Come on. God does. God does. Job gets the voice and it settles his heart. See, Job got better because he had a better God. Job became greater 
because he had a, a greater God. Job saw he was way worse than he thought. Oh, but more loved by a God bigger than his imagination and by a God he could not control. And I want to tell you, you and I, we need a God like this, one who isn't white or black or left or right or red or blue. A God who's bigger than all of that. A God who's better than all of that. A God before whom we just lay our lives down like Job and say, save us, save us. And we do have that church. We have it. It's here. It's in Romans 8. It's in the gospel. And the bigger, better God, I want to tell you, longs to speak to you amen. right now. Hope you can say amen to this. Let's take a moment here. I'm going to trust for the Holy Spirit in the moment we have left to come. Lord, I'm just asking, Holy Spirit, as we come to you, like Jesus, as he prayed, as he prayed, as he prayed, the Holy Spirit came. He got the voice. And Lord, we're praying now. I'm praying now to cross this room online, everywhere, any place, any time someone's listening to this, Lord, right now, they would just have both the courage and humility to open up their hands and their heart. Say, Lord, would you help me? Jesus, I trust you to save me. I need your spirit. I need the voice. Would you help me deal with every way in which my heart condemns me? Tells me I'm unloved, alone, doesn't matter. I'm praying your Holy Spirit would break through. Lord, we need your voice. We thank you for it today. We need a bigger, better God. Helps us. We thank you for this in the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.